you could turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to springboard from there. I know I've been there a few months ago, but I wanted to look at a few more things in relation to what we've been learning recently. When you think of the word compassion, what comes to mind? And the scripture talks about putting on compassionate hearts. Well, how do we do that? You know, it's one thing that I've learned that I thought I knew is that it's, it's, there's a difference in saying, you know, put on the new mind, renew your mind, love one another, be at peace, just rest, and being able to do it. It's like when we're young sometimes and we're just being children and our parents say, would you just grow up? Well, I'm trying. I'm doing it. Just keep feeding me. I'll be grown soon enough. And then they get grown. You're like, would you just slow down? You know, we're never content. No matter where we are in life, even when we are content, we're not content with something. We're discontent with something. We wish things were different for some reason, usually establishing a, a, a level of, of sentiment or a level of joy or a level of happiness or a level of hope that we're hoping to have. And we're just, you know, not really finding it. And so as I talk about compassion today, there, there's going to be several thoughts in our minds. The first one is, you know, what does compassion really mean? You know, okay, I'm understanding a little bit more. The second one is going to be, am I compassionate? I think I'm compassionate. Oh my gosh, I must be arrogant because I think I'm compassionate. Maybe I'm conceited. Surely I'm not compassionate. Or we might think, well, I know I'm not compassionate. And the world would say, you're very compassionate. What are you talking about? And in that, we need to realize that we don't need validation for who we are. We don't need to be validated by the people around us, the people that love us, our spouses, our children, our friends, our family. We need to understand that who we are is who we are, and the Lord loves us in spite of that. Not because of that. The Lord loves us because of who we are, because he has adopted us as his own. And parents, we get it. We get it. I mean, as many times as we have had these murderous thoughts and these ideas, you know, I could just... Like a stray cat, leave them at the edge of the woods with a bowl of milk. I mean, you know, you could do all sorts of things, and that's a joke, okay? Don't turn me in. Um, all of my kids are accounted for, but that you know of. But we have these thoughts, and then we think about that stuff with our spouses, too. We fight over the stupidest stuff. And we have the stuff in our life that annoys us. You know, the, it's not the people that annoy us. Have you ever noticed that? It's somebody that, that annoys you. You think, oh, gosh, here comes so-and-so. They're so annoying. You don't say it out loud. Some of you do, and that's rude. But some, well, we think it, right? <laughs> you don't say it out loud. Please don't say it out loud. If I'm coming up and I annoy you, just tell me later. Say, hey, I'm going to talk a little bit later. It's a good thing, and it is a good thing. But if it's not them that are annoying. It's what they say. It's what they do. It's something about them that irritates a status in us a standard in us. It irritates some resting place that we have, either in our time or what we want to do. And, and, and so let's just, let's just be honest that none of us have the compassion of Christ. We put it on, we throw it off. 
we have it for people who are easy to love, and we fake it for those that aren't. Okay? So the thoughts that you're having today, it, the point of teaching and the preaching of God's word is not to convict you. But yeah, isn't that the trope? And I know why. I've said this to pastors too who have taught me. And I, I, I know why we say it because we feel like something's being done when we feel this way. And we get to the end of the sermon and we're like hurrying people out the door. You know how churches, used to, you know how some churches do. Hey, come on. And the pastor's standing at your car. Shake your hand. I'll put you in here. Got to go. I mean, you know, we don't have that problem here. But some of the times I've heard Oh, man, you just really stomped my toes today. <sighs> it's not my intention. And I hear that at my house. For some weird, really psychologically disturbing reason, I decided this year that I wanted to hear from my adult children how horrible a father I was. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be validated. Oh, Dad, you're not bad at all. No, they had a list. They had a list, and halfway down, whoa, 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 I mean, I'm only human here. Just hold on a second. <laughs> you know, hold your flow there. These rhymes are coming out faster than music's playing. you got to wait. Just save those for later. Put another 16, 18, 22 years between the next time I ask this question. But they were right. Because what my intention was and what was being done, the outcome of what I wanted was not happening. Okay, through the years. It's what we do as parents. We learn by trial and fire. Because there are older people in our life who've done it. There are people who have done it. And we ask questions and they give us answers and we go, man, you're just too old to remember. And we do it our way. And it's not the right way. So we love and, and we hear all the things that we've done wrong and and then we what? Then we have to have validate ourselves to think, okay, i got to make up. You can't make it up. You can't change the past. Just accept it. Embrace it. Hey, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My knuckleheadedness. I introduced myself last week to someone as the knucklehead. And they, found, they thought it was very funny, and it led into an interesting conversation. But our knuckleheadedness, our silliness, our stupidity... It's part of God's purpose to train us into the people that we are presently and the same silliness that we're going through in this se these seasons will create us to be the person God has established for us to be in the future. So regret, as I've said, needs to be like a quick punch to the gut, not a real hard punch, not an inverted reverse with all the twist of the body, not something that will make you throw up last week's breakfast, but just a little bit of, I can't breathe. Ooh, a reminder to rest in God's purposes. Now, I just gave you some technical terms about hurting people. So, anyway, solar plexus. <laughs> that's what that's called. Compassion. So, we are compassionate. We're not compassionate. And we, not, we don't have to strive to be more compassionate in an attempt to become ultimate compassion, have ultimate compassion, but we just need to learn to feel and understand and be present in the moment now so that are we exercising and feeling and doing and loving in a compassionate way at this very moment? And beloved, it starts with you having compassion for yourself. 
Because you can never embody the, the compassion of Jesus Christ until you are secure in knowing who you really are. And as believers, the beautiful thing about that is that our identity is not just wrapped up with and conjoined with Christ. It's deeper than that. It is immersed in him. Now, if, if that's not how you see yourself, go back and listen to the last six months of preaching. And then pay attention to the next six months of preaching because I'm going to really begin to emphasize that and have been. I also want to take note to remember the whole point of this little introduction is that we're going to have these thoughts and feelings about trying to change ourselves, to do things differently. And those are good ideas. It's always good to have self Without self-reflection, you cannot grow. Without the renewing of your mind, you cannot grow. Listen to the Word of God. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, my siblings by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your physical lives, your mind, your soul, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your mouth, your words, your intentions, as a living, not a dead, sacrifice. I mean, God's not calling us to lay down our physical lives unto death. He's calling us to live our physical lives as a sacrifice unto life. Set apart holy and acceptable to God. Just like you see the imagery. You should, you should have an image in your head, the picture here. Okay, it is cold in here. I get it. <laughs> the picture of the things that are set apart for the use and the worship of God are holy. That's what the word means. Different, set apart, set apart. So we, just like the showbread was set apart, just like the Holy of Holies was set apart, just like the inner court was set apart, just like all of the different pieces in the elements of worship that pointed to the mercy seat, the mercy seat itself with the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant in inside there, the budding staff of Moses and the tablets of the law from Sinai, the second edition, revised edition, <laughs> not a revised, just second edition. And everything else, the manna, and everything else that was stored in that were all images that were set aside to represent a sufficient hope in the promise of God to bring Mashiach, Christ, Messiah, into the world to satisfy his righteousness because he had created a people for himself who he had set apart for himself to be holy and blameless without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. So, beloved, when we sit here and beat ourselves up over what we are not, we are literally sort of spitting in the face of grace to say that God can't see us as he has declared us. And in righteousness and in justice, with all the education that could ever take place in any court of man, beyond that in the court of God, we are innocent and forgiven because another has taken our place. Now, you don't have to understand that to be born again. And when you're born again, you're not going to just wake up with that understanding. And there is so much in that little improv statements that I just made that it would take years and years of just reflection to get it. Don't listen to the culture. Don't listen to your own mind without filtering it through the gospel. And by all means, don't seek to find validation in who you are in Christ by others. Because they will sorely disappoint you. 
especially when it comes to being compassionate. Because here is something I've learned about me. You can never be compassionate enough for me when I'm hurting. (laughs) If I really start to think, well, they don't see it. They don't get it. I remember restoring my house and all the intricate behind-the-wall details of this 120-plus-year-old home and going and doing, and then people come in, oh, this is nice. Nice! Nice! You see these bloody knees? You see these bloody hands? You see this wrinkled face? Let me show you the arthritis. I mean, you know, no, this isn't nice. I took a toothpick and a toothbrush and a... Some little lizards help me clean all the... I mean, you know, you want everybody to know the anguish. That, you really want that kind of compassion? We do. We want to be validated. We want to feel like somebody feels. That's called empathy, not compassion. I'm going to talk about the difference. And not everybody can do that. Not everybody's gifted in that way. But we can all have understanding. But if we want others to see us in that way and to just carry us in that context, then do we want to have the same compassion for Christ? Do we really want to go down the intricacies of what crucifixion is like? Do we really want to go about the idea of eternal God becoming mortal man, creating a body for himself? (laughs) Do we want to understand the angst of what an ever-present, embodied, eternal God experienced? When the scripture says he sympathizes with us in our weakness. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do we really want to empathize? Do we really want the level of compassion for Christ that we expect others to have for us? And the answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. So what level should we have? Well, let's just learn from the scripture. Holy, set apart, acceptable to God. It's something that can be used, can be in His presence, which is your spiritual worship. Remember what Jesus told the woman from Sychar in John chapter 4? That the Father, the Father, not Jacob, not our Father, but the Father, the God, is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit, for He is spirit and in truth. God is seeking these types of people to worship Him. And those words by Christ were the occasion of regeneration in this woman. And we can't impose, and this is what I'm talking about next week, we can't impose what elements of, uh, of cognitive uh, of, you know, understanding that she had or what elements of, of theological things that she had in her mind that mixed in with this experience and all of a sudden, poof, she came to her senses. Being born again and having faith that's not coming to your senses, it's being given sense. And it's, been given the, it's, being given, uh, it, it's being given the sense of a child to just go to bed and know that when you wake up, all is well. But that's next week's message. Spiritual worship. And when Jesus used that, those words... This woman was born again by the Spirit of God, and she resolved. She took a deep breath in after that long discourse, after that completely postured, fake, uh, hypocritical, that means acting, interchange with Jesus. And she just 
not exhausted in her spirit, but content. She said to him, I paraphrase, she said to him, my only hope is Messiah. I guess he will answer these things for me. And Jesus says to her, Dear woman, the one of whom you speak, I am. And she runs to town, exposing herself and all of her shame. It was gone. It says, Behold, I met a man that told me everything I've ever done. Could it be Christ? Come and see. And he spent days with them in Sychar, the very enemies of righteousness, when the very holders of the oracles of God had told him to get lost. Do not be conformed to the world. Beloved, in chapter 12, verse 2 of Romans, not being conformed to this world includes the Christian world. <laughs> There's a lot of fear-based and shame-based living in the church of Jesus Christ, the assembly of Christ, and the family of Christ. And it's far time that we patiently and compassionately realize that just because I've worked through something for 15 years doesn't mean that you have. And so I have to be compassionate. I have to be careful not to sound flippant, but something that you may still have strong convictions over. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, by paying attention, by, by doing everything that's necessary to, to be discerning, you may discern what is the will of God. And the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And we've talked about that there and how some people like to take and just parse out words and create entire new chapters of theology based on words. There's not three wills of God. There's just God and his will. And what he tells us is what we know and what we see, what we can infer and interpret. And what we don't know, we don't know. But it's all the will of God. And in chapter, I mean, in verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. See, it seems a contradiction, right? It seems a contradiction that, that I would say what I said earlier about, I'm going to cut this air up a little bit because some of you guys are just shaking in your boots over here. That we need to not beat ourselves up. But see, that's not a prescription to beat yourself up. That's not a prescription to hate yourself. That's not a prescription to loathe yourself as a sinner. Well, that's, that's antithetical to the rest of Christ. That's antithetical to the joy of the Lord. That's antithetical to the command to be, to be thankful and to be glad. You see? But our culture, the world, the Christian world, we've been conformed to it by thinking that we have to think a certain way. Puritanistic Phariseeistic, whatever it might be, istic, or whatever ism that might come along, we are so easy to adopt it because it provides for us another rule, another regulation, another adoption of a, of, of a thing that takes away our agency, that takes away our responsibility, so that in some sense we feel comfortable by just being this way, and thus we create a new law before which we stand, uh, with which we stand before God. Oh, you know, I've, look at what I've done. You know, it's not in me. No words, no prayers, no things that I do or haven't done. 
No people that I am not like can satisfy. I cannot save my soul. I cannot give myself joy. I, can't, I have to see myself as God sees me. Christ didn't look at us and in the, in the, in the eyes of eternity fulfill the mission of creation, which is to die on the cross for his people. He did not do that with contempt. He did not do that in a way that, I can't believe I have to die for these idiots, but I'll do it. It's my obligation. <laughs> he embraced it. He ran into it. He looked forward to the cross, despising it, because he looked beyond the cross to glory. And what's more glorious than a people of compassion together in intimacy? Who were every one different. Do not think of yourself more highly than one ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So even in that instruction for me to say, hey, don't you beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up for beating yourself up. When I was a kid, you know, the funkles, the fun uncles that tickled you till you threw up or till you wet your pants or made fun of you, as always joke. They used to do the quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. You ever have, yeah, raise your hand if you've ever had somebody do that to you. All right, have you done that to your children? Stop it. I did too. Then I turned it into some like crazy patty cake. Don't beat yourself up for beating yourself up for beating yourself up. Don't do it. It's not worth it. For as in one body we have many members, you might say, well, why am I? I can't, I can't be useful because I'm not here. I can't serve because I'm not like you. Thank you, God, that you're not like me, for you would be, we would be a miserable lot. I am not the man that you make me out to be. And you, some of you, well, most, most of you, but I mean, you know, there are a lot of people through the years who have gotten to know me and went, nope, it's not going to be my pastor. And then they've made waves to have me dethroned as they say well if I was on a throne you couldn't I'm in a place of servant can I wash your feet can I teach you this I say it all the time and nobody listens I'm just a couple of hours ahead of you in this lesson because when we're learning the Bible it doesn't matter what I've gone to school for or how many decades that I've been doing this 25 years now what matters is is that I'm a human being just like the rest of us and that I am learning to apply this stuff today. If you learned to apply a portion of Scripture 10 years ago, you're not doing it now. It's today. So today is the day of compassion. Today is the day of self-love and compassion. Today is the day of identifying yourself according to the Scripture. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. Let me impose this. Nor the same level of maturity. Nor the same level of compassion. Nor the same level of interest nor the same level of empathy. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I, I disavow this idea that, that, that Christianity is this collectivism idea. 
Yes, we are one body altogether, absolutely, but individually a part of the body of Christ. Individually, we are justified because of the work of Christ. Individually. You remember that song? I don't, a song from my childhood when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He used to love that song, and then I got into theological circles. That's blasphemy, selfishness. God no more thought of you than he thought of us. You know, uh, yes, he did. Because the Bible teaches that, when, that God knows the number of hairs we have or don't have. And we know, he knows when they fall to the ground. That in the same way, he knows the shedding of our molecular state. He knows the regeneration and the counts of the synopses in our brains. Oh boy, if the Bible could be rewritten with some of those examples. <laughs> it's like our men's group yesterday. We talk about some stuff that's like, let's just stop. Where we, our, hell, our head melts. If the sparrows, it's about that time, start seeing all those birds, you know? If one of them falls to the ground, the Father, see when that imposes? The Father. That's when Jesus talks about him being Father, when he's concerned about our well being, when he's exercising compassion, when he's showing love. And also the motherhood of God. The psalmists write a lot about God's mothering. If if God notices that the hair on your head falls away, and listen, I vacuum my house with all those girls, and I know how much hair falls out of their heads. There should never be a bald person in America because I could give them what I take out of my vacuum cleaner. We can make wigs. I digress. And then the drains. All right. And I digress again. We have to eat in a few hours. What was I saying? There we go. <laughs> then he is going to take note of you. So when we need people to have compassion for us at the level of depth that they can't give us, and it's okay, we can grow in that. If that's what we really need, and sometimes emotional needs are real needs, even when they're attached to physical and tangible things. The physical, tangible things are not necessarily needs in some definitions, but they can be attached to absolute needs. And beloved, our need for compassion is paramount. Our need to be heard is true. Our need to be loved, you can't live without it. You can't live without it. You may live, but you won't be healthy. But no human being in this world is going to give you exactly what you need all the time in or out the church, in or out of a marriage, in or with children, or any other friendship or relationship. But Christ can answer all those needs. And we think, how? Well, that's just it. There's no how, it just is. And we come to the place of being settled in this way so that we are able to rest even without the knowledge of why we're resting. And then we can learn it. Individually, members, one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, according to God's purpose, according to God's love, according to God's compassion. Let us use them. Let us use these gifts. Use our pain. Use our suffering. Use our challenges. Use our understanding. Use our contentment. Use our joy. One of the dumbest things that ever happened in the history of the American church is when somebody, it might have been Brother Trey mentioned it yesterday, is when we had professional people start 
developing ways of understanding spiritual gifts through inventories. Well, I just don't know where I need to start. Well, here, take this 12-page test, and we'll find out what you like. You know what every high school kid, their spiritual gift is Xbox, pizza, and sleep. Yeah, see, you agree with me, right? And for me, it was chess, jazz, uh, encyclopedias. We didn't have Xbox. It would have been. <laughs> Billiards. We have gifts. What are the gifts? We're the gift. Who we are, how we're established, our mind, the good, bad, and the ugly. You know the most, the hardest person to love in, in, in our lives, the person that we go, oh, you see, the one I was talking about earlier? Those people have gifts too. And then sometimes the gift that person brings is the opportunity for us to realize that we ain't all of that. That's another sermon. Let us use them. If prophecy, what is that? Proclaiming what God has promised. In a New Testament sense, it's proclaiming what God has promised. It's encouraging one another in the word of God. It's being in the Bible. Some of us are like students of scripture. And I don't mean theological hobbyists like we see. Let's get around and talk about, you know, what is, is. But we love to read the scripture. We love the context. We love the stories. We love the narrative. We love the instruction. We just love to hear it and read it. And it's in us and it's alive in us. And sometimes people come and it pops into mind. Share it. Live it. That's prophecy. And we do it in proportion to our faith. In that, that we're trusting and living, not trying. See, that's the exercising gift. Is not, okay, I got gifts. How can I use them? How can I use them? Oh, my gosh. Ah! You know, I mean, when did you ever see Superman just keep pulling out his tie? I just, oh, Oh, no. You know, Spider-Man. No, they just, when trouble came, okay, i got to get myself together. Whew, there we go. That's how we need to be as Christians with the giftedness that we are. Always be ready, but not so eager. Not try to make it. That guy sneezed. Should I say, God bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, amen? Or should I just hand him a tissue? Whew, just do your job and get back to work. Put a mask on. <laughs> You know? Should I get 15 bumper stickers for the back of my car? Should I put the whole Gospel of John? Should it be Greek, Chinese, and English? I don't know. Why don't you just read it and see if God might open the... You know, this, this energy is better suited in resting and preparation. We've had, we have a lot of anthropological discussions about biological things in my house. And, you know, we... I had a discussion the other day about running from a brown bear who can in upwards of their speed, you know, be from that door to this podium in less than three seconds. Where am I going? Nowhere. To his stomach. That's where I'm going. But one thing we have above everything else in the animal kingdom is endurance. We can keep running. We can keep running. We can keep running. We can keep, and we're smart. We can outsmart those things. Beloved, it all boils down to this. It's in proportion to our faith. 
It's not about trying to mimic other people or always be on call. We've just got to keep going. We've just got to be faithful to rest. The opportunities will come. We don't have to have such urgency. You know how many times I heard the idea of urgency in my early ministry? We've got to get missions on the, on the ground. It's urgent. We've got to do this. We've got to plant these churches. It's urgent. And I live my whole life under urgency. And for those of you who know my dad, I mean, it's urgent. KG can tell you. You change that all, it's urgent. You better check it. It's urgent. And in that field, like if you're in the medical field, the law enforcement field, I mean, it's urgent. <laughs> Phone rings, it's urgent. Got to go to court, got to go to the jail, got to do this, got to go to the emergency room, it's urgent. But life, Christianity's not urgent. God's not sitting there with his panic button, holding on to his oh Jesus handles. Let's go! He's at rest. And you know what I've found historically when you look anthropologically at why there's so much urgency in the Christian circle? It's because everybody needs money yesterday. And all of this stuff that needs money because it costs money to put plumbing in is really just to, by and large, pad the salaries that sit around and say, it's urgent. It's urgent. You know, if it takes me another 22 years to finish a particular book that I've been trying to write, that's good. You know how it's not done? Because it was so urgent that I just burned out. And if I'd written, like my wife says, I'm editing, I'm editing a book on Simple Grace right now that I really want to have published by the end of the year. And I'm just like, oh, oh. She's like, just do a chapter a week in editing. Quit worrying. No, then it'll be like March where I'm done. It's not urgent. Our service to the church is not urgent. It's needed. And sometimes that need is urgent. But sometimes God's provision is going to be in His timing. No, all the time, God's provision is going to be in His timing. So, members one of another, one of another. Let us use them. If prophecy and proportion of faith, if service, I've already gotten ahead of myself, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads, do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. You know, you know what I'm talking about there, right? The person that's really compassionate, but really grumpy. The person who is like, I can't believe I had to feed all these idiots every day. Glad you're not hungry, praise God. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, I've been, have you been there? I've been there. But I've been taught well enough to be polished enough to not look like that or sound like that. But on the inside, you know, same stuff, same guy, eating the same stuff. You haven't heard, you haven't read the Proverbs, have you? You put your hand in the bowl, but you're too lazy to put your hand in your mouth, so you starve to death. <laughs> so what? Is he there? Do you like serving? Feed him. Enjoy it. Doesn't matter if it's the same guy living on the same corner in the same street, eating the same food for the same time every day for 20 years. Does it matter? It's not a numbers game. That's the problem, too. We've got to find more. We've got to get more. We've got to need more. We've got to get bigger, larger, happier. 
got to have this, got to have that. Gotta, I mean, if half the churches in the world would just focus on learning the scripture and walking patiently together with one another and loving the very ones who are looking at them without looking at the empty chairs and wondering where they are, then we'd actually be a transformed community of compassionate people that would make a bigger difference in 100 years than the churches of the, of the last thousand. That's not going to sell any books. <laughs> be like a five-page book. Introduction. Dedication, you know, thank my wife, thank the Lord, thank the kids. Instruction, the next two pages, see page three. <laughs> oh, there's some urgency. Tear this out, send it in with a check. <laughs> That's, it's silly. With cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, verse nine. Abhor what is evil. See, the culture of Christianity is really good at abhorring what's evil. It's really good at it. I hate that. I hate that. God hates that. God hates you. I mean, you see that, right? It's always out there. And it may not be direct like some of the cults. Sometimes it's indirect. You know, I care for you, but I just got to let you know that you're going to hell. Because you said cheeseburger in church. Okay. Can I have fries with that? I mean, you know, that's what I want to say. <laughs> you know. Will there be flies? I don't know. But it's so, I mean, it's so easy to be hateful, abhor what is evil. How about we start with what's in us? And then we're back to that deprecation, to that puritanism that let's get the whips and start beating ourselves. Let's depri- no, the Bible disavows that. The Bible actually commands against it. But we know what is evil. And there's a long list. So love it. The point there is not to instruct on abhorring what is evil. The point there is to get the contrast. Let love be genuine. And if our love is genuine, then we don't love that which is not honoring to God. John says the first thing, do not love the world or the things in the world. Hold fast then to what is good. You see the sandwich? Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And so the emphasis there is to love one another with brotherly affection, with sibling affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. I mean, that means always be ready. Be eager. Don't just like, oh, I got to teach today. I got to preach today. I got to. And I feel like that. Some, I do feel like that some weeks when I'm not physically well. or I've had a hard time or there's something going on in my own mind or, you know, at home. Maybe me and Robin aren't happy with each other because, you know, I've done something stupid. Do not be slothful, but be fervent in spirit. Be, be ready in spite. Be patient in tribulation. Just rest and wait, patient. Be constant in prayer. That's not a hard one, but it's the hardest thing we do. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That means take care of people in their need. Just, you know, open the door for the weary traveler. Hospitality is not the Baptist potluck. <laughs> Hospitality is not open to my house for everybody to hang out there five days a week. I did that in Virginia, and it was so funny. We lived on Clara Avenue that the joke amongst the church was, we had our church and we had Clara Avenue Baptist Church. And we thought that was awesome until like three years in. And it's like, holy cow. Is there a holy cow? Not in Christianity. Um, you know, three years in, we're like, wow, we, we really 
not taking care of us because we feel like hospitality means we always have to be open to everyone else. And so we had to battle that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I'm going to stop there because that's actually the verse I'm going to preach on today. That was an introduction. I promise it's just application from this point forward. So just sit back and rest. Because you, you didn't see my Facebook feed. Time went back an hour. You know what? I thought it was springing forward. I went to bed real early. I don't know why I got that messed up. I said, now that time has changed, we get, the preachers get to preach the next hour, right? That's right. I'm getting my time. But I want you to understand, and I think I've shown you the importance of compassion. And I want to show you the idea of how empathy cultivates compassion. But I want you to understand something about empathy. Empathy is entering into someone other uh, someone else's feelings and experiences sympathy is feeling sorry for someone sympathy is having a feeling of wow i see that you're hurting i know that you've had a hard time empathy is i feel that pain it's putting on those shoes and experiencing those emotions as if it were happening to you now empathy is also seeing someone's point of view. It's not just about feeling. It's about the, the, the relationship of hearing someone's point of view, even if you don't agree with it, of saying, okay, I can see where you're coming from. I understand how you got there, and I appreciate your point of view. You validate the fact that their point of view is valid. That's empathy. But neither of those are compassion. But without empathy, without being able to see other people where they are and feel what they feel, compassion is very rare. And it sort of lends itself to just be sympathetic, which is a must as a human being. I used to pitch. And there's nothing funner to pitch than a golf ball. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, that thing flies. Me and a buddy of mine, Casey, we were hitting golf balls into a field out behind his house years ago. I was probably 17. And we were just knocking them out. And the fence, you know, the four-inch square fence, and there were some birds in the fence. And I'm like, I can hit that. And I rolled that thing up. I wound that thing. I said, poof, poof, feathers everywhere. I hit that bird 20 feet. And I was proud and disgusted. And I ran over there. I'm like, oh, oh, oh I nailed it. And then I'm like, oh, my God. And I started to cry. I'm like, I killed it. That bird like, beep, beep, beep. oh, no, this is terrible. All the other birds flying around, Good, you know, I'd kill Billy on a pitch bet. You know, that's, that's sympathy. I felt bad. I could feel, but I didn't have compassion for the birds up there. I wasn't empathizing with mama bird and brother bird, sister bird and all these, oh, oh gosh, they just saw this big white giant kill their little friend with this ball of white fire, you know. What is this, Pokemon, Bakugan, whatever all the gons are, you know. But yet there's, some, there's sometimes some of us who have that. I wonder how this is feeling. 
Empathy is the ability to understand and share feelings. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is the core of empathy. To feel. And listen, it is great if you can, and I do, but there is also a dark side of empathy that controls us. And it's psychological. I don't want to get into that today, but I've done a lot of study. I've had a lot of help in this area. But empathy can uncontrolled leads to destruction. Because what it does is it puts us in that place where then we begin to live the pain. Then we become responsible for their pain. And then we become the hero for their pain. Trying to fix it. And that's a disaster. And all in all, it's really selfishness, but it's not, you know, it's covert selfishness. With good intentions. The scripture teaches us about empathy. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So not only does Christ sympathize, he feels our pain, he's experienced it and knows what it's like to a greater degree. Because he's walked through it himself. Every single ounce of temptation that the world could offer, Christ has walked through it. And that's the conundrum, right? I mean, if you look at the Gospels, you start seeing how Jesus acts and how Jesus responds to people and how Jesus doesn't necessarily just say, do this, but he does it. He shows the way. And, you know, remember when I started talking this morning, it's very easy to tell, for, for us to say, well, just, you just got to be compassionate. You just got to be loving. You just got to be patient. Okay, How? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good report of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. Listen to this. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Now, how many times have you ever heard that text preached in the context of sympathy and compassion? But that's what's being taught there. No, that's the, it's urgent, missions. No, it's urgent, compassion. So there's our urgency. To emphasize compassion, not necessarily urgent to get it together. Because if we're zealous, if we're there, if we're learning, if we're growing, we are where we're supposed to be if we're here. And the compassion of Christ will grow. And why were they harassed? They were harassed by spiritual leaders. They were harassed by the politics. They were harassed by the inundation of, of, of being marginalized. Because if you weren't in the elite, you were nothing. If you weren't of Israel or of Judah, you were nothing. If you fell into some sin, you were nothing. If you got kicked out of synagogue, you were nothing. And yet the spiritual leaders of that day, everybody who was focused on trying to love and help the culture, holy cow, 
They were the ones who were actually oppressing the culture. Jesus called them blind gods. Now, I thought about that today. A blind guide runs into a wall or over a cliff and typically takes people with them. Don't follow a blind guide. How do you know a blind is gone when they lack blind, a God is blind when they lack compassion? I don't know what I'm saying today. Blah. When they lack compassion. Doesn't matter how much truth spews out of a man's or woman's mouth. If they lack compassion, they're not to be listened to or followed. Yes, the Word of God stands true, but there's a difference in hearing the Word of God read verbatim and being told to follow it from a person without compassion. Because I can promise you, if there's not compassion in our hearts toward the person we're trying to teach, we're trying to manipulate them even if we don't know it. We're trying to get them to be who we want them to be rather than letting them be who they are. Why does that trigger us so bad in society? Somebody's not like us. Somebody doesn't agree with us. I mean, I posted something completely non-spiritual on a social media site last night. and showed them some bottles of some things. And dude, they're like burning me on fire because they disagree that I should even think that this thing is good. Okay. But yet there are times and there are places in life where that kind of stuff triggers us. Compassion. When there's no compassion, there's always arguments. There's always debates. James says, "Is what quarrel? What causes quarrels and fights among you that you have, that you don't have, and you won't, you desire, and you hate each other who do have? That's not compassion. Is that the people who are your biggest cheerleaders turn out to be your biggest enemies, like we read out of the Psalms this morning? It hurts. They lack compassion. We've got to learn to develop controlled empathy. We've got to learn that." The, spirit of, of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there are no law. Why? Because it doesn't violate any law. There's no consequence but joy, life, compassion, fulfillment, contentment. There's nothing but greatness. There's nothing but life that comes out of the fruit of the Spirit. There's never anybody to indict us. But yet it is the most impossible thing for us to have... Because when we don't walk by the Spirit, we cannot have these things. So I tell you this, beloved, because it is only through the disciplines of resting in the sufficiency of the Lord and His Word and with His people that we will ever become, even remotely, even in a small way, the compassionate people that we should be. We have to have self-control in maintaining empathy. We have to pray and seek God's guidance. What is, I mentioned James a minute ago. What does the first chapter of James says? If anyone lacks wisdom, he need just ask and pray the Lord grant him wisdom. And then not be what? Double-minded. Well, beloved, the wisdom from the Lord, if you test and say that what I am saying today is of the Lord and from his word, and then you second guess what you should be doing based on what the word of God says, that's double-mindedness. Well, I'm hungry where well, there's food over there. Yeah, okay, hey, can I get something to eat, somebody? Yeah, there's food over there. All right, all right, great, great, great. I haven't eaten in three days. There's food over there. You see how that works. 
And it's always the way it is. Let's find the echo chamber. Let's find the Reddit sub. Let's find the Facebook group. Let's find the, you know, the X factor. Let's find whoever we can, wherever we can, that agrees with us as much as they can as, so that we can feel good about who we are, where we are, with what we don't want to hear. Echo chamber. But compassion is really empathy put into action. We can feel for people, but we have to involve ourselves in a desire to help and alleviate suffering. I think Paul talks about that some here. To the church of Colossae. Huh. Verbatim, this is what I was looking for. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. You know the idea of bearing means enduring. And the idea of enduring means something that probably you don't want to experience. <laughs> Nobody endures a free gift of a million dollars. Well, I guess I'll take it. It's going to be hard. Nobody endures, you know, a good report at the doctor. You're as healthy as a 20-year-old. Oh, gosh, that's just so hard for me to handle. I just don't know that I want that help. <laughs> hey, you want to have a free vacation? Oh, I just don't know. I just think that'd be so burdensome for me. No. So to, be, to endure a burden, um, that means it's going to be something a little unpleasant. So we're to bear with one another. Why? Because a lot of our interactions as human beings, if we're authentic, are going to be unpleasant. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. We're going to have problems. We're going to, in, we're going to infer incorrectly. We're going to assume too much. I wrote an article about assumption about six, seven years ago. And it's probably one of the most read articles other than my second commandment violation article, which I don't know why, uh, on my blog. It's just the weirdest thing. I'm like, it's just a rant. As a matter of fact, I put the title, Rant, and this guy screaming like this. Assumption is a sin. That's what it's entitled. Yeah, assumption. It's not humble. But we do that, right? Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all things, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now get this. This is all instructive and prescriptive. So listen to the rest of it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's step one. How do we do this? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Beloved, if you're reading the word of God, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to take time out to do devotions. You don't have to get a pen and a paper and a pad and an audio recorder and a blog and everything else to actually affect changing your life. Nobody needs to worry about the intimacy of, I mean, needs to worry about the education of the Bible until they've gotten the intimacy of the Bible down. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, so that you may be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing praises and hymns and songs together 
with thankfulness to your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and whatever you do in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus as you give thanks to God the Father through Him. So, I mean, this, this is where it has teeth. This is where it starts. And what does that sound like to you? I mean, when do you just sort of hang out, you know? And then it's anywhere in the middle of anywhere, you just start singing hymns together with people. Now, it sounds odd, but I did have a man one day in the parking lot walk up to me and said, I, I want to bless you with something. And it's typically a gift card or a track. Or a chick track that says, because I'm driving a Ford, I'm going to hell. You know. But he puts his hand on my shoulder. He's a little shorter than me, probably 30 years older than me. And he begins to belt this hymn in my face. All five stanzas. The first three or four, I'm going, what in the name of all things crazy is this? And by the end, I was blessed. He said, I just want you to see the words of that. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. And then that man started coming to our church, and his family started coming to our church. And, you know, when he passed away, it was, it was bittersweet. But he would. He would walk up to any stranger in the world and just start. It didn't matter what it was. It might have been Amazing Grace. It might have been some hymn you've never heard. It might have been some stuff he, he made up. And, and if you were really blessed and he was out in a public way, he'd pull out of his bag a ukulele and he'd sing love songs. <laughs> Elvis style. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful person. But most of the time, you're not going to have the opportunity to just belt out hymns together in the public market. When do you have that opportunity? Right here today. This is the point. When we are gathered together, it needs to be intentional, that we are learning and disciplined, that we bring together our gifts, and those gifts are fueled by intimacy with the Word of God. It doesn't take much. Just meditate on this this week. Put it on a card. Put it in the mirror. Do whatever. It's easy to fight. I don't have time. Next thing you know, it's 2 in the morning because you just put auto binge on Netflix. You know, that's like the, the, the feed now. You've got settings. You want to log out or click the thing that says auto binge. What does that mean? We'll show you everything related to this until you die or shut or the battery passes away in your computer. You ever woke up on the couch and missed three episodes? What is happening? Why is John marrying her? What? Oh, I'm in season five. <laughs> Got to go back. But we don't have time to spend five minutes. And that's not to convict you, to make you feel guilty. It's okay. It's who we are. Beloved, it wasn't TV in the first century, or the second, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth. It wasn't the 20th. It was radio in the 19th. It was art, literature, books, and everything else in the 17th. It was high piety in the 16th. Backbreaking labor and disease. It's always going to be something. Don't do it out of compulsion. Do it out of celebration. Empathy in action. Three things in close. How can you become more compassionate as a believer? Learn to listen. A 
oh my gosh, I got my third active listening co-op in January. It's a group of us, we get together, about 15, 20 of us online, we Zoom, we spend three or four hours, we share a particular thing, a vision, whatever project, and then the rest of us have to actively listen. And then there's a coach in there that goes, yeah, you weren't listening. And you know what? I'm the one. I'm the one that the guy says flabbergasted, and I start thinking, I wonder where that word came from. Flabber. It's not blubber. Flabber. It's like somebody talking a whole lot. <gasps> what do you think, James? I have no idea. I wasn't listening. And I've been doing that since I was a little boy. Teachers in school sounded like the peanut people. Wah, 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 wah. Well, what? I don't care. It's who I am. I'm not changing it, but I do want to be able to listen better. Active listening. That's being fully engaged with someone because you want to understand their perspective. You want to understand their perspective. So I encourage you to listen actively in your relationships. At home, with your children, with each other. Listen. Don't just be thinking about what needs to be said. Sometimes nothing needs to be said. That's my problem. I'm a fix-it answer guy, you know? You got a question? I got an answer before it comes out of your mouth. Yeah, I'd like to get, well, here it is. You didn't know what I wanted, but there's that anyway. I know you want that soon. Here's another one. You're not listening to me. You, you think I'm joking. Next time you get my wife around, ask her. She'll be, she'll be honest. I'm that way. I finish her sentences. And she'll look at me and she goes, can you let me talk? I'm going to try to catch that one. Can you let me finish your sentence? I want to say it like that. <laughs> I might be sleeping up here one night. The scripture says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person to be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. That includes listening. We also need to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy feels sorry. Empathy feels with. Let me say that again. Sympathy feels sorry for. Empathy fills with someone. And so we've got to move beyond sympathy. We've got to encourage empathy as a deeper level of connection because without it, we cannot have compassion. And I can go to Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 12, but Romans 12 tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But we've got to practice empathy without becoming emotionally overwhelmed. And I give this caveat because it happened to me. So we have to have emotional balance. And that means that we're not responsible for other people's trauma, for other people's pain, for other people's problems, but we are able to engage and help as much as we can today. We can't fix the overarching problem. We can't fix the, I mean, if someone's dying of a disease, we can't take it away. We can help them through it. We need to seek God's guidance. We need to ask for wisdom before we engage. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Beloved, when we're out of control emotionally, we're vulnerable. And we destroy and invite destruction in every relationship that touches us. I want to say that again. When we're emotionally out of control... We invite destruction and we allow destruction into every relationship that touches us. 
Active listening is more than hearing words. It's fully engaging with someone to understand their perspective. Sometimes it means we have to ask questions to better understand. Knowing the difference between sympathy and empathy is really just putting ourselves in their shoes for just a minute and thinking a little bit further about what they must be going through. Practicing this without becoming overly emotionally invested means that we don't sacrifice our own emotional well-being. We have to set boundaries. We have to know our limitations. And we have to understand that when we begin to invest emotionally in someone else's life, it doesn't mean that we can dump emotionally over here or that we can neglect emotionally over here. We've only got so much bandwidth, we can't have it all. So we have to have self-care. We have to schedule time away. We have to be intentional. Jesus did that. I thought I was going to have more time today because you're going to let me preach for till one. But Jesus was intentional about getting away. He'd heal a bunch of people. He'd preach and he'd vanish. He'd literally just vanish. Well, where'd Jesus go? I don't know. Let's just get the boat and go over there to Capernaum. Maybe he's there. He's there a lot. I don't know, where's James? He's probably at the huddle house. Let's just go to the huddle house. Maybe we'll find him. Not so much anymore, but used to be a day like that. I don't know. You've got to get away, and you've got to not feel guilty while you're away. And here's a kicker. It's okay sometimes not to be at church. When you need to rest, and you're emotionally done. Listen, you need to be here. When you get here, you'll be fed. But when you're not, it's okay because... We love you. And the only reason we want you here is because we love you. Sometimes it's okay to take a vacation that includes a Sunday. Do you know last year was the first time in my life that I ever felt that freedom? And you know from 1998, when I started the ministry, to about three years ago was the first time I ever took a Sunday off. For vacation or for my family for anything why because the culture said this is ridiculous I was raised that retirement and peace and rest was worthlessness I was raised to believe by the culture now I mean my mother was raised this way too and her mother was raised I mean you know generational <laughs> That when you weren't busy, matter of fact, Brother Mike and I had this conversation yesterday. If you weren't productive, you were pathetic. You know what? Be productive in intimacy. Be productive in rest. Be productive in self-care. Be productive in compassion. Be productive because here's the kicker. If we aren't, we don't have margin in our lives spiritually, we're not going to have anything for anybody else. And I said this in 2010, and I heard a sound clip of it about six months ago we can't give to others what they what we don't have and when we're empty there's nothing to give anybody else what did Christ give he gave it all and he's the example and I've given the gospel several times in this we're not we don't have to we don't have to be so eager and it's not urgent for me to recapitulate the gospel of grace you know the gospel of grace because the practical application of this teaching is what I want you to rest in today as we quit as we move to the next section of singing praises, of taking the Lord's table, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
who is not just the example of compassion, but who is our eternal hope, who is our, the lover of our soul, who is the one who will carry us through every storm and every season of brokenness unto eternal life. Let's pray. Father, as Paul was in chains when he wrote these letters, he was thinking of the church. He even named specific people. He's thinking of Archippus. He's thinking of Timothy. He's thinking of, of, of the saints there. He even greets Demas, Lord, in that letter, who will later, as we see, abandon him. The Father, he also had Luke there, a physician, to take care of his needs. So, Lord, teach us. Teach us this balance. Teach us this focus. Teach us this proper way of living. And that we would not beat ourselves up, but that we would live free and authentically before you. We can't lie to you, Lord. We know that you know everything. Even when we don't know it, you know it about us. And you love us. And you've loved us eternally forever. Before we were, you loved us. And you gave Christ for us. So help us to live in that place. To be patient and compassionate. Lovers of others. And sometimes that does cost us. And sometimes it does cost us ourselves. But... Lord, help us to be mindful, to know, to even see and help to encourage each other to take the time to be careful. To be controlled, not out of control. To be willed, not willy-nilly. So let our zeal be a fire, but not without boundaries. Because even the Christ had boundaries. He healed when he should have. He prayed when he should have. He preached when he should have. And then he vanished when he needed to. So Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he cried out, it is finished. And that there's nothing left for our redemption. But a promise. That we will one day be like him. In his name we pray. Amen.